Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for coming to worship with us today. We had, uh, we we're having a great weekend. Uh, Friday night, we had our men's event, and uh, we had a blast with the guys eating steaks and worshiping and praying and drum battles and you name it. Uh, we just had such a great time spinning these guys around, making them dizzy. Almost puked on the stage, but we kept it together. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the, getting men to get together is kind of like herding cats. Uh, men, uh, they, they have a tendency to isolate and don't connect well, but trying to get our men to completely buy the idea that a connected life is the best life. And, uh, and we, we need brothers to go through life together with. We need uh, destiny team members to help us, and we help them. So uh, we just had a great time Friday night. Thanks to all the guys that came. Uh, a couple things that are coming out of this as well as one, we have uh, half a dozen or so men's uh, small groups, rock groups, that we would love to invite you guys to be a part of uh, that meet throughout the summer. And then if you even want to join uh, a rock group that's like co-ed or family type group, we have those as well. But I just want to encourage you men, uh, don't just live in isolation, get connected, make some friends, uh, just, you know, develop that part of your life. And then uh, another thing that I'm really excited about is the opportunity, uh, we're developing a great relationship with the Black Mountain Home for Children. And uh, they are an organization, you'll hear about it in a second, uh, we got a little video for you, but uh, they, they provide foster care for uh, 90 kids at a time, and uh, it's a great ministry, we're growing our relationship with them. Uh, and so what I would like to do is, is get a bunch of men, I just think it's a beautiful thing to think of men, like father figures, going in to help this. It has a massive facility, uh, and we're actually going to go beyond just working on their facility, but we're going to, uh, the people who are interested in foster care, uh, we're going to partner with them in training for foster care as well for kids. But uh, next Saturday, I'm asking men, I'd like to see 50, 75, 100 guys just descend on Black Mountain Children's Home. Uh, 8.30, we're going we're gonna to feed you breakfast tacos. Somebody say amen. No donut holes, breakfast tacos. This is the men. And uh, then we're going to start working at 9 and just have uh, three hours or so and clean up, and then we'll feed you again at 1230. Uh, so guys, let me encourage you, if you haven't registered, would you go do that today? There's a registration out in the foyer. Dave Rutledge will be out there, and you can get some more information from him. Just love to see a bunch of guys. Give us a half a day Saturday. Let's do something great for God. But check out this video uh, to get to know a little more about Black Mountain Children's Home. Hey, my name is Jason, and I'm the director of Campus Life here at Black Mountain Home for Children. Uh, Black Mountain Home for Children has been around for over 100 years. The history started with an original orphanage uh, where the kids lived in one big building. Uh, the boys lived on one wing, the girls lived on the other. And about 15 years ago, we wanted to go to a more of a family style. And so on our main campus, we have four homes where up to nine kids can stay in each home. And so with our main residential facility, our foster care program, and our independent living program, we'll tuck in around 90 kids. Uh, 
uh, tonight uh, from, from all walks of life uh, that they've just been dealt a tough set of cards. It's not their fault, the situations they're in, um, and we're trying to give them the support they need. Our ultimate goal is to reunify them with their family whenever possible. And if that doesn't work, um, we want our facility and our program to be the last placement before their forever home. So hopefully they can go to a forever adoptive home or foster home. They may end up in our independent living program, but we don't want them to go from one place to another to another. We're super excited to find out that the Rock Church uh, is interested in trying to find out ways that they can partner with us and help us do what we do and care for the kids in our ministry. Uh, we've got some opportunities uh, where skilled groups from The Rock can come in and help us uh, cut trees, um, do weeding, but also do more of the skilled uh, trades with carpentry, electrical, plumbing, roofing, uh, you name it, we've got a project list a mile long where we can use your help. One of the main things that we're super excited about is the opportunity uh, to potentially help us with one of these cabins right behind me. Here at the West Campus, we have six rustic cabins that are in pretty rough shape. Uh, we've done some basic cleaning up of them, but our ultimate goal is to have a church or a group adopt one of, one of these cabins and take it from the state it's in now to a fully winterized cabin. Some of that will include putting in new windows, new doors, insulation, a little bit of electrical and plumbing, um, wallboard, refinish the floors, and then put a new roof on it. And what that's gonna allow us to do is to be able to add and double uh, our bunk space throughout the year. This will help us with volunteer groups that come from out of state, need a place to lodge. It'll help us for weddings and other events uh, that use the facility and donate money to help uh, support us and taking care of kids. And so we're super excited uh, and hope you all are able to come out and join us and be a part of the ministry here at Black Mountain Home for Children. encourage you guys, uh, give us half a day on Saturday. Let's do something great together. Just, uh, just to remind us that uh, uh, our church is not taking a vacation from God, uh, and I don't want you to take a vacation from God during this summer. Uh, if you go on a family vacation or you get away, that's a legit thing because you got to unstring the bow every once in a while so uh, you can live a, a healthy life. But uh, this summer, we are plowing forward. We're doing great things. This Thursday, 60 teenagers are going to get on a bus and head over to, uh, to Atlanta for Forward Conference, and they're going to have a fantastic time, and uh, that, that's going to be incredible. We have stuff going on for children uh, throughout the summer, opportunities for kids to connect with other kids in the house of God and parents to connect. And so you can find all that on our website. So I just want to encourage you to lean in and have a great summer. And uh, let's see God do some great things in our midst. Amen. All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to go back into the book of Hebrews and uh, just kind of going verse by verse. We step off of it for occasion for a few things, but uh, I've entitled this uh, series Better, and uh, you'll actually see why even today. But uh, today, uh, I want to I talk about this idea that God wants you to win in the end. God wants you to win in the end. I'm going to read a, start out reading with a passage of Scripture. One of the things about going verse by verse that's good for me and good for us is I end up uh, covering verses that I may not naturally gravitate towards. And that's kind of where we would start today 
with a, a verse in a, pa- a passage of Scripture that, uh, that gives us a pretty sober thing to think about. But uh, I just want to make sure that we get this idea that one of the great ways to understand God's perspective on any topic is to get the full counsel of His Word. In other words, you can't just isolate a verse and get wisdom. Uh, you can't get God's full counsel on a topic. And I would say in the age that we live in, even more than almost any time I can ever remember, uh, we don't seem to have an ability uh, as, as an American populace to embrace nuance very well. And so we see a lot of political arguing, uh, and it's one of the reasons that I don't really have a great taste for the political realm. Uh, I do believe that God calls believers to get engaged in politics, but I don't particularly have a great taste for it because what seems to happen often is that people will set up a stance that they want to take on a topic, and then rather than consider the nuance of how, how to approach this topic or how to solve a problem, people in the political realm often seem to set a stance and then make a caricature out of the other person who has a different viewpoint or make a caricature out of the topic that's being discussed. So it, it creates this argumentative kind of, uh, it's hard to get to wisdom because all of the things that our society is facing Um, you have to consider nuance to get to resolution. So, you know, one of the big topics right now, obviously, is the topic of immigration and children. And and the truth is that there's nuance to consider in both sides of this. Do we need to to get better about immigration policy in our country? Yes, we do. Is our... were we lucky enough, <laughs> blessed enough to be born here, those of us that are here, we didn't, we, we didn't get that by our own. We, well, that was given to us. But there are people that want to have the opportunity to be here, but there are people that try to get here illegally. And so you got to consider the nuance of the whole topic, and you can't just go, this is it, it's all this way or it's all that way. It wasn't that long ago we were having a big you know, conversation about the police and about how some police are brutal and there are people that that have taken a total stance to go against police in every way, but the truth is some police are great. I said some police are great and uh, and most of them really are great and there's a, you know, there's a few that have done things that, that are not legit and so I'm just saying the whole concept of understanding that you have to consider nuance when you are really trying to get to wisdom on any particular situation. So having set that up, uh, I want to read, we're in Hebrews chapter 6 and picking up in verse 4, and I want to read a passage that has some pretty strong words uh, that we're going to start out with today, but we're going to end up in a good place. Hebrews 6 verse 4 says, In the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, and tasted of the powers of the age to come, and then they've fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. (laughs) That's a pretty strong stance. 
since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those whose forsake it is tilled, that ground or that vegetation receives a blessing from God. In other words, when somebody accepts Christ and they begin to walk with God, it's not just a ticket to get to heaven. It is God bringing us into a place of fruitfulness. So an orange tree bears oranges not for itself but for others, right? An apple tree bears apples not for itself but for others. That's what God wants to call us into. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Wow, those are strong words. I just want to say our salvation, uh, when we accept Christ as our Lord and we start to, to begin a journey of walking with him, our salvation is not this fragile thing that would just fall apart. I know my, I was not raised in church, uh, but, I, but Suzette was raised in church and in pretty much a very kind of a legalistic uh, environment to where if you were to say a cuss word, uh, if you were to do something wrong and, and they, you were told that if you didn't repent and say you're sorry and get forgiveness and Jesus would come back, you might lose your salvation. Well, it's not that fragile because believe me, all of us that are golfers have said cuss words. And you've found a way to say a cuss word, but uh, that's, not, that's not what the deal is about. But what I think this passage does give us is an understanding that the potential exists that a person could start out in a walk with God and then fall out and lose out because they didn't finish what they started. So this passage is pretty clear about this idea that, you know, you've been enlightened, you've tasted of the heavenly gift, uh, you've been made a partaker of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is somebody who's had a full tilt relationship with God. You've tasted the good word of God. You've tasted of the powers of the age to come. And then, verse 6 says, you've fallen away. And what I want to say is we can't ignore this idea. My encouragement to all of us is it's good to start, but don't forget to finish. <laughs> don't forget. You know, uh, the, 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 the tale of two bills in, in our society in just recent history is just a little while ago, a great man named Billy Graham finished well. He started well. He finished well. But a man named Bill Cosby not so much. One started well and finished well. One started as a hero in many ways in our society, but I don't know that his legacy is going to be that great. And my encouragement to all of us today is to, to let's set ourselves to win in the end. It doesn't mean that you won't make a mistake along the way, but but God wants us to win in the ultimate end. And what this next verses that we're going to look at tell us is that all of heaven is leaning in for you to finish well. 
for you to finish strong. So let me pick it up again, Hebrews 6. Uh, now we're in verse 9. It says, Beloved, but, beloved, I love when the word but is in the Bible. <laughs> it tells us it could be this way, but it could also go this way. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. We desire that each one of you would show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Everybody say the end. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let me give you four ideas that I think this passage is giving us that helps us understand that God actually wants us to win in the end. Number one is this. God wants better things for you. Verse 9 says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things. Somebody say better things. Better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. I love that Paul gives this warning. It's not Paul. We don't know that for sure. Uh, the writer of Hebrews gives this warning and says, it, it's a possibility that you could lose out, but we are convinced of better things, things that accompany salvation. And you might be asking the question, better than what? One, better than falling away. But really, God's committed, I believe, to, to us that better than whatever was before. In other words, wherever you're at right now, God has got a, a, a better future than your past has been. Whether your past has been difficult or hard, or whether your past has been fantastic, the, the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. We go from glory to glory. We go from faith to faith. And God has a better day in front of you. And you got to keep remembering that. You got to keep holding on to that. Because salvation, I'm, I am glad that salvation is going to end up with, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with God. But how many of you know that salvation is not just a ticket to heaven? God is, God is not just interested in getting you to heaven. He's also interested in getting heaven to you. Like here, right now. So this idea, yeah, go ahead. So salvation, the Greek word sozo, salvation is not just a, a, a ticket to heaven, but salvation is freedom for your soul. You know, you're not under condemnation. You're not under this cloud of guilt, but you are, you have been given forgiveness. Salvation brings healing. Salvation brings blessing. Salvation brings flourishing and prosperity to your life. Salvation brings love into your world. Salvation brings purpose into your life. And you might say, I don't really feel any of that right now. I just want to remind you today, I'm glad you're here, because I want to say to you, God wants better things for you. God wants you to win in the end. 
which means if you don't feel like you're winning right now, we sang a song about it just a little bit earlier, it's not the end yet. And he's got something in store for your life. God is not pleased or happy or leaning into us falling away. He's leaning into us getting better and better. And life getting better and better for you. The second idea that I think this passage is telling us is this. God doesn't forget the seed you've sown. God doesn't forget the seed you've sown. So verse 10 says, God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name and having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. I think all of us have a tendency to forget the things we should remember and we keep remembering the things we should forget. And it just, you know, you could have a hundred things going great in your life, but one person say something negative about you, and it's easy to obsess on it, right? You, you could have all these things to be grateful for, but you could just get stuck on, on one or two things that aren't really going your way. But I don't want to say to you, this passage is saying, God doesn't forget. Every good seed that you've sown, God remembers. God is watching over your harvest. God is committed to a harvest for the seeds you've sown. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. In other words, don't fool yourself. Don't, don't forget. Don't let, don't let the, the craziness of life or the busyness of life or the difficulties of life make you forget. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And I think the idea that we got to get is this. Yes, sowing and reaping is a, it's a law. It's a principle. It's, a, it's the way God created life to work. But I think even beyond that, to get a hold of this idea, God's not mocked. He himself is committed to your harvest. He commits himself to, he doesn't forget. It's not just a principle. He's watching over the seed you've sown and will bring a harvest into your life. Acts chapter 10 is a great story that I love. It talks about a man named Cor Cornelius. And Acts 10 verse 1 says, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. So here's this guy, Cornelius, who has this lifetime pattern of praying and giving, giving and praying, and praying and giving. And you drop down in the story to verse 31, and the angel of the, the Lord shows up and says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms or your giving have been 
remembered. Everybody say remembered. Remembered before God. Who knows how long Cornelius has been sowing prayer? Who knows how many times Cornelius has given and he may have even forgotten all the times he gave. He may have even thought, people don't appreciate all the giving, all the praying I do, but God remembered. And, and, and the, as you would read this story in Acts 10, there was the outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit on his household because of all that he had sown. God watches over the seed you sow. I just want to remind us that God is God and you are not. Right? God is God and I am not. He owes me nothing. He, he could say, Kirk, give. That's what I want you to do. And he doesn't have to promise me a harvest. He could say, Kirk, you pray. And I, and, and I would pray because that's what he wants me to do. But he has committed himself to watch over your seed until it reaches a harvest. Come on. If you haven't received your harvest yet, you're just not at the end of the cycle. God wants you to win in the end. Matthew 10, Jesus is teaching us, verse 42, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Said it again, Mark 9, verse 41, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. In other words, God is noticing, God is taking into account, God is remembering every cup of water that you give in his name. Every time you work in the cafe and you serve a cup of coffee, God is looking at that and remembering the seed that you sowed. This past Friday night, we had, you know, we, we haven't come up with the official name. When the girls have their events, we have the dude team, so this past Friday night, we had the chick team, and the chick team was here, uh, and they were serving the guys just like it's supposed to be. They were. <laughs> they were feeding the guys. They were cleaning up after the guys just like life is supposed to be. <laughs> Amen. Amazing what I can pull out of a crowd with. Um, hey, ladies, let me just tell you something. God saw every move you made, every minute you invested. He knows. <laughs> every... every Every piece of furniture that gets carried out to the patio, God says, I see, I remember, you sowed it, I'm watching over it. Every minute that you served in a class with two-year-olds, God says, I see that. You may think nobody's seeing it, and maybe they don't, but I see it, and I remember, 
and I'm going to give you a harvest. Come on, gentlemen, even if we all pile in the Black Mountain Children's Home next week, God says, I see that. I see what you're doing. I remember. Don't, don't grow weary in keeping on sowing the right things. The third idea that I see about God wants you to win in the end here is to remember that God wants you to live in the full assurance of hope. Say hope. Hope. So verse, verse 11 says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Now let me just remind us that hope is an expectation that the future will be greater than the past has been. The future will be greater than my present day. Hope is an expectation of future good. And there are forces at work that want to steal or dampen hope inside of us. In other words, we can start to feel like maybe I've had my best day. Maybe, maybe the future is not going to be better for me. But I just want to remind you today that we can live in hope because of God. Because he's committed himself to cause all things to work together for our good. So if you lose your hope, you've lost something valuable to your spirit man. Because hope is a lens that, that says the future is going to be greater. And when you lose hope, it changes how you respond to life. Because when you're full of hope, you're optimistic. I could try again. I could give it another go. Hope is, hope is saying I'm looking for answers I'm not trying to look for excuses. I just want us to understand that if you're looking for answers, you have a likelihood of finding one. But if you're looking for excuses, you also have a likelihood of finding excuses. Some people get focused on the wrong thing. Like my wife. throw me under the bus just because I kicked a little coal into the garden. Did she tell you that the steak I cooked was phenomenal? No, she did not. She just focused on the fact that I almost burned the house down. Just go ahead, just throw me under the bus. Just stay focused. Hope is finding answers rather than looking for somebody to blame. And the Bible says, fix your hope on the living God. Come on. Life is unpredictable. <laughs> it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. The economy is up. It's down. The government, it, 
You might have your guy in office right now, but you may not always have your guy in office. And we don't put our hope in the economy. We don't put our hope in the government. We fix our hope on the living God. And for you to win in the end means you've got to keep hope alive. Because this, this passage tells us that our diligence is inspired by hope. In other words, we're not just, we're not, we're not just determined to stick with this and gritting our teeth and y'all pray for me that I make it to the end. No, we're full of hope. I love this, Colossians 1 in the message, verse 5, it says, the lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack, tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taught by hope. The message is as true among you today as when you first heard it, it doesn't diminish or weaken over time. So our sense of purpose can stay strong in life because we're hopeful that tomorrow is going to be better. Or the next week is going to be better. Or the the next chapter is going to be better. And this says that uh, our hope is tied to our future in heaven. One, I think this means our heart is more attached to heaven than to earth. So so I'm attached to, to heaven. Whatever circumstances are around me, I know that peace comes not from things going easy. Peace comes from heaven. Love comes from heaven. Creativity comes from heaven. Blessing comes from heaven. And my, my hope is not in, is everything going to go right around me? My hope is in, heaven is going to come into my earth. But also, I think it's important to never forget the fact that we are, we're not just living for life to be good on earth. We are living for the hope of eternity in heaven with God. And then the last idea that I want to talk about is this, that how does God want you to win in the end? Well, God wants you to inherit his promises. So verse 12 says, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promise. I think sluggish is an interesting word. Sluggish. That you don't grow sluggish. I, I, I jumped on thesaurus.com to find synonyms and antonyms, words that mean the same, words that are the opposite. And I, I'm just curious. Not a judgment on anybody because it's not my place to judge you, it's not your place to judge me, even though it's easy to lean into that sometimes for me to assess you or you assess me. But I do think it's worthwhile for us to ask the question of ourselves where, where is my relationship with the Lord right now? Where is my walk with God? What end of the spectrum do I find myself on? Am I on the sluggish side? And I thought it was interesting because a couple synonyms for sluggish were heavy, inactive, lethargic, listless, slack, 
slow, stagnant, apathetic. How many of you know people can drift into that? So, no energy, no life, no engagement, just sort of worship time. Why do they have to have it so loud? When is this going to be over? And then when the preaching is going on, when is this going to be over? Go serve on Saturday. Eh. Be productive in church instead of just a consumer. Eh. Eh. And the, and the antonyms for sluggish are active, alert, busy, energetic, lively, moving, fast, spirited. Could I add engaged, energetic, passionate? Come on. So, so I'm just asking you, how would you describe your relationship with the Lord right now? Where would you fall on that spectrum? I think it's the, the idea that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Let me just paint this picture, and then we're going to pray. God's promise to us is our guiding light. And he's not, it seems like sometimes God's holding out on the fulfillment of his promise. But I think... I think what God wants to do is give us his promise and us find identity in the light of his promise. In other words, he wants you and I to see ourselves in the light of his promise instead of in the light of our circumstances. Your identity, in other words, who do you really think you are? Because God's promises are not like magic pills. Actually, God's promises are descriptions. The Bible says in James, you look in the Word, and it's like looking in a mirror, and you see yourself. But then when you walk away, you forget. So you look in the Word, and you see yourself forgiven. But you walk away, and you start feeling condemned. You look in the Word, and you see yourself blessed. But you walk away and go, nothing ever seems to go right for me promises of God are held in our hearts with a spirit of faith until we actually start to embody those promises. It's not just quote them over and over again and if you finally reach the magic mark of saying it enough, it literally is God's giving his promise to give you identity. He wants the word to be made flesh. Like he wants he doesn't want you just to occasionally find peace. He wants you to live in peace. He wants you to live in joy. He wants you to live in blessing. I'm convinced God has better things. He has a harvest for you. He has hope for you. He has promises for your future. I want to pray. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? And let me just pray today. Father, as we come before you today...
It's so easy to slip into sluggish, to get apathetic, to get listless, to get slow, to get inactive. Life pulls away. And I'm praying, God, for every person in this room to have the bright beacon of hope in front of them. No matter what they're going through today, that hope would be the light, the promise of God would be the light. You yourself would be the light, God, that we're moving towards. While your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, I just want to take a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've never actually just surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never just said, Lord, I'm I'm willing to put my life in, in your hands. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord. I'm not perfect, but I need your help. I want to pray with you if you've never done that before. Maybe you're here today and it used to be a day that you could look back to and you would go, man, I used to be so engaged, so on fire, so in love with God, but I know I'm not where I used to be. It's time for me to come home. Maybe you just don't feel confident. You feel unsure about where you stand with God. Nobody's looking around. You say, Pastor, would you pray with me? You want to surrender to Christ for the first time? You want to come back to Jesus today? Or you just want to know that you know that you're right with God and your life is in His hands? If that's you, I want you to lift your hand real high and say, that's me, Pastor, would you pray with me? Come on all over the room. God bless you. Be bold. Thank you. Be bold. Be brave. Come on. Thank you all over the room. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. God bless you, dear, over here. God bless you, sir. Come on, anybody else? Just lift your hand real high. More important than me praying for you, let God know. God, I don't have it together, but I want my life in your hands. God bless you over here. Come on, thank you so much. Thank you all over the room. Thank you, thank you. Thank you over here. Thank you right here. Come on. Amen. Thank you, sir. Come on. Hey, listen, no shame in this room. Everybody has slipped and fallen. Everybody has done wrong, but we're all here to embrace the grace of God, get God's help to live the life he has for us. Anybody else? Come on, one more second. I just want to wait. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. Thank you. Amen. Hands all over the room. Holy Spirit, help us. Let's pray this prayer together. I want This is for everybody that lifted their hands, but I want us all to pray this. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my heart and my life to your love, to your lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. But I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning. I give my life to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on. Can we thank the Lord? Amen.